So let's um, begin our class tonight by reading together Daniel chapter 5. Let me turn there. We'll do two verses each. We'll read round here and, uh, and then we'll start to study. So Daniel 5. Belshazzar the king made a great feast to a thousand of his lords and drank wine before the thousand. Belshazzar, whilst he tasted the wine, commanded to bring the golden and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple which was in Jerusalem that the king and his princes, his wives and his concubines might drink therein. Then they brought the golden vessels that were taken out of the temple of the house of God, which was at Jerusalem. And the king and his princes, his wives and his concubines drank in them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and of silver, of brass, of iron and of wood and of stone. In the same hour came four fingers of a man's hand and wrote over against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Then the king's countenance was changed, and his thoughts troubled him, so that the joints of his loins were loosed, and his knees smote one against another. Then the king cried aloud to bring in the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers. And the king spake and said to the wise men of Babylon, Whosoever shall read this writing and show me the interpretation thereof shall be clothed with scarlet and have a chain of gold about his neck, and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then came in all the king's wise men, but they could not read the writing, nor make known to the king the interpretation thereof. Then was King Belshazzar greatly troubled, and his countenance was changed in him, and his lords were astonished. Now the queen, by reason of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banquet house, and the queen spake and said, O king, live forever, let not thy thoughts trouble thee, nor let thy countenance be changed. There is a man in thy kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods, and in the days of thy father light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, was found in him. When the king Nebuchadnezzar, thy father, the king, I say, thy father, made master of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers, forasmuch as an excellent spirit and knowledge and understanding, interpreting of dreams and showing of hard sentences and dissolving of doubts were found in the same Daniel whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. Then was Daniel brought in before the king, and the king spake and said unto Daniel, Art thou that Daniel, which art the children of the captivity of Judah, whom the king my father brought out of Jewry? I have even heard of thee, that the spirit of the gods is in thee, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom is found in thee. And now the wise men, the astrologers, have been brought in before me, that they should read this writing, and make known unto me the interpretation thereof. But they could not show the interpretation of the thing to him, and his sleep went from him. Then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste unto the den of lions. Bills, I think you just turned over two pages, love. Oh, yeah. We're suddenly in the den of lions here. So back to verse 16. <laughs> and I've heard of thee that thou canst make interpretations and dissolve doubts. Now, if thou canst read the writing and make known to me the interpretation thereof, thou shalt be clothed and with scarlet, and have a chain of gold around thy neck, and shalt be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let thy gifts be to thyself, and give thy rewards to another. Yet I will read the writing unto the king, and make known to him the interpretation. O thou king, the most high God, gave Nebuchadnezzar thy father a kingdom, and majesty, and glory, and honour. And for the majesty that he gave him, all people, nations, languages, trembled and feared before him. 
whom he would he slew, whom he would he kept alive, whom he would he set up, and whom he would he put down. But when his heart was lifted up and his mind hardened in pride, he was deposed from his kingly throne, and they took his glory from him. And he was driven from the sons of men, and his heart was made like the beast, and his dwelling was with the wild asses. They fed him with grass like oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till he knew that the, that the Most High God ruled in the kingdom of men, and that he appointeth over whomsoever he will. And thou, his son, O Belshazzar, hast not humbled thy heart, though thou knew, knewest all this but has lifted up thyself against the Lord of heaven, and they have brought the vessels of his house before thee. And thou and thy Lord, thy wives and thy concubines, have drunk wine in them, and thou hast praised the gods of silver, of gold, of brass, iron, wood, and stone, which see not, nor hear, nor know. And the God in whose hand thy breath is, and whose are all thy ways, hast thou not glorified. Then was the part of the hand sent from him, and this writing was written. And this is the writing that was written. Meany, meany, tikal euphasin. This is the interpretation of the thing. Meany, God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. Tikal, thou art weighed in the balances and art found wanting. Perez, thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then commanded Belshazzar, and they clothed Daniel with scarlet, and put a chain of gold about his neck, and made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. In that night was Belshazzar the king of the Chaldeans slain, and Darius the Median took the kingdom, being about threescore and two years old. Okay, well, thank you guys. Let's uh, open our Bibles to Isaiah chapter 13, because Isaiah, hundreds of years before the fall of Babylon, is prophesying. And... It's simply extraordinary when we see the detail that Isaiah uh, prophesies with that we see fulfilled in our story of Daniel chapter 5 in the fall of the kingdom of Babylon. So Isaiah 13, you see it begins, the burden of Babylon, which Isaiah the son of Amos did see. So he's shown this picture. Now look what we read, verse 2. Lift ye up a banner upon the high mountain." Exalt the voice unto them, shake the hand, that they may go into the gates of the nobles. All right, now I want to note that. So Isaiah, hundreds of years before, prophesies of the fall of Babylon, and he says that they may go into the gates of the nobles. All right, now, so just make a note of that, Isaiah 13 and verse 2. And we hear that... Uh, in verse 5, we read that there's going to be people that are going to come from a far country. Uh, verse 6, how ye for the day of the Lord is at hand, it shall come as destruction from the Almighty. Therefore shall all hands be faint, and every man's heart shall melt. Now, what does that remind you of? Uh, who, who, Belshazzar, right? So I would suggest that we make a note, perhaps next to Daniel 5 and verse 6, of Isaiah 13 and verse 7 because his heart is melting isn't it uh, all hands have become faint or feeble and they shall be afraid isaiah 13 and verse 8 pangs and sorrows shall take hold of them well th this is the point belshazzar is petrified isn't he 
He's absolutely petrified. His countenance changes. They shall be in pain as a woman in travail. They shall be amazed one at another. Their faces shall be as flames. Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel both with wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate, and he shall destroy the sinners thereof out of it. And so we read in verse 11, I will punish the world for their evil, the wicked for their iniquity. I will cause the arrogancy of the proud to cease and will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. And that's what happened, isn't it? The arrogancy of the uh, pride of Babylon is brought low. So next to Daniel 5 and verse 20, when Daniel recounts to Belshazzar about his grandfather, not his father. We understand that there's not a Hebrew word for father, so or, or there is, but it can also be uh, used to talk of a grandfather. There's not a Hebrew word for the grandfather. So uh, when it says in verse Daniel 5, verse 20, but when his heart, Nebuchadnezzar's heart, was lifted up and his mind hardened in pride, he was deposed from his kingly throne. They took his glory from him. That is uh, Belshazzar's grandfather. All right. So Belshazzar has got the same problem. It's the problem of Babylon and it's going to be brought low. And so we read then in verse 12 of Isaiah 13. I will make a man more precious than fine gold. So at the fall of Babylon, Isaiah is prophesying, he declares that a man will be more precious than fine gold. Now, why is that so significant? Because what was the image's head made of in Daniel chapter 2? Gold. What type of gold? Fine gold. Fine gold, right? So in Daniel 2 verse 32, we're told, aren't we, that the head of Babylon, the image's head was of fine gold. So now as the Babylonian system, as Isaiah prophesies that the Babylonian system is gone, it's going to be destroyed, a man is more precious than a fine gold. And of course, we, we read, don't we, in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 7, that the trial of our faith is much more precious than of gold that perishes though it is tried with the fire. We've obviously looked at that reference, haven't we, when we looked at Daniel chapter 3, particularly, of the fiery furnace. Um, so we're going to see now the, the men and women who have been faithful in Babylon, who are going to emerge from this city and who will go back to the land of Israel and begin the job of rebuilding Jerusalem and then later the temple so uh, uh, exciting stuff um, that that we're seeing here in just this little detail of a man being more precious than fine gold now I want you to come on to another prophecy in Isaiah we're not going to go to them all but I want you to go to Isaiah 21 which also is a prophecy regarding Babylon and it starts in a funny way, Isaiah 21. It says, the burden of the desert of the sea. 
And you think, well, you know, what does that mean? What, you know, what is the idea of the desert of the sea? Well, it's, it's the desert between the two rivers. That's the idea. So you, you've got the Tigris and the Euphrates and the wilderness territory between it, the, the uh, you know, the, the fertile crescent, uh, the desert of the sea uh, is this area of Babylon. So what do we read? Well, we read in verse two, a grievous vision is declared to me, the treacherous dealer dealeth treacherously and the spoiler spoileth. Go up, O Elam, that's the, an ancient name for the Persians. Go up, O Elam, besiege, O Media. So who have you got? The Medes and the Persians. After the head of gold comes the chest and arms of silver, the Medes and the Persians. Now look what we keep reading. Therefore are my loins filled with pain, pangs have taken hold upon me. So what do we notice about the king's loins in Daniel 5 and verse 6? Loose. His loins were loosed, right? He's in pain. Pangs have taken hold upon me as the pangs of a woman that travaileth. I was bowed down at the hearing, but I'm dismayed at the seeing of it. My heart panted, fearfulness affrighted me, the night of my pleasure has he turned to fear. What's happening in Daniel 5? The night of pleasure has turned to fear, right? The great reveling that Belshazzar and his lords and his princes, his wives, his concubines, as they're having this night of reveling, this night of parting, the night of pleasure, has suddenly turned to fear. Make no mistake, Belshazzar is petrified. And so we keep reading in Isaiah 21, prepare the table, watch in the watchtower. So as he's having this night of pleasure, this feasting of the table, there's someone watching in the watchtower. You wonder who that might have been. We wonder that Daniel is watching in the watchtower. He knows what's going on. But the call goes for those like Belshazzar who are not, they're not watching the watchtower. They're eating, drinking. Arise, ye princes, he says, and anoint the shield. Now, what does that mean, this idea of arise, ye princes, and anoint the shield? Well, uh, the, the word anoint, any ideas what it could mean? You know, what do we anoint with? Oil. Oil. So actually, that's what it means. It, 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 that, that word simply means oil the shield. Uh, why would you oil a shield? Before battle. Before shiny. battle. Make it shiny. Good thinking, those. Make it shiny before battle. Well, we think of a shield, don't we, probably, as like a quite a hard metal shield might think of the Roman shields, right? But actually, the Persian shields, um, uh, or the Babylonian shields, um, were like a leather, okay? So it's like a really stiff leather, and they would oil the shields. So the shield would be oiled to, to, to make it um, uh, supple and make it so that it uh, was, was suitable for battle. We, we have... Um, the phrase used in one in 2 Samuel chapter 1 just 
as a quick aside, go there, because I think it's a significant lesson that we can pull out of it, this idea of oiling the shields. So 2 Samuel 1, and we just want to go to 1 verse, verse 21, where David, um, in his lament over Saul and Jonathan, he says in verse 21, Ye mountains of Gilboa, let there be no dew, neither let be rain upon you, nor fields of, or, of offerings, for there the shield of the mighty is vilely cast away, the shield of Saul. Now, the authorised version says, the shield of Saul, as though he had not been anointed with oil. Now, of course, he was anointed with oil because he was the king. But what you notice about quite a few of the words there, the shield of Saul, as though he had not been anointed with oil, they're in what? They're in italics, right? If they're in italics, what does that mean? They're not in the original. So let's read it again. The end of verse 21. The shield of Saul, not anointed with oil. All right? So you take out the, 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 uh, the italics, um, the, the words written in italics, and we see that although it's perfectly reasonable to say that, that Saul was the anointed one, but literally that reads, the shield of Saul, not anointed with oil. Now, why does that matter so much? What spiritually is the oil a symbol of? What is it? The word. the word. All right. So what is the shield a symbol of? Think Ephesians chapter 6, the armour of God. The shield is the shield of faith. So what do you need to do to your faith? Oil it with the word. All right. So in Ephesians 6, if the shield of faith is used, what is it able to do? What well on Beck, protect from the fiery darts of the wicked. All right, you've got to say it carefully. Protect from the fiery darts of the wicked. Um, that's what the shield of faith is able to do for you. But the shield of faith has got to be oiled with oil, and the oil is the word. Now, how did Saul die? Well, he, he fell on his sword, but you're spot on, and I'm glad you said it because that's what I wanted to get to. What did he do? He was fired at, wasn't he, by arrows. And he was mortally wounded. Just You and 2 Samuel 1, just turn back to chapter 31. Look, verse 3 of chapter 31 of 1 Samuel. So 1 Samuel 31, verse 3. The battle went sore against Saul, and the archers hit him. And he was sore wounded. So he knew he was going to die, but he wasn't going to allow... Uh, himself to die a slow death and to be taken into captivity by the Philistines and so he commits suicide but he's mortally wounded by the archers what didn't he have faith what wasn't on his what wasn't on his shield oil right the oil of the word wasn't on his shield and so he got hit by the archers now we take all of this back to Daniel what were the Medes known for archery right? Sharpen the arrows. The Medes and the Persians are coming. And so Babylon is going to fall because, here we are back in Isaiah 21, what haven't they done? They haven't oiled the shields. So there's a great lesson there for us, isn't it? In fact, that's why we do these classes, isn't it? Because what are we doing tonight? 
we're oiling the shields. We're getting this word out, aren't we? And we're uh, ensuring that the shield of faith is strengthened in our life, that we're ready, we're prepared, that when the fiery darts come into our lives, when the arrows of the Medes come shooting in, we're prepared, we're ready, we're able to defend ourselves, we're able to defend the truth, because the shield has been oiled. Okay, let's go back to Daniel chapter 5. We could keep picking out more things in Isaiah, but I am... Um, uh, I'm going to really try and behave tonight and uh, stick to time. Let's face it, I probably won't manage, but I'm going to try. Um, I had a ticking off in the week saying, come on, you've got to behave yourself. You've got to try and do it better. So I'm going to really try. So come back to Daniel 5. And we see, don't we, that uh, Belshazzar, with his cronies, is drinking wine before the thousand. Now, if you haven't got Revelation 17, verses 1 and 2 in your margin, You've got to put Revelation 17, verses 1 and 2 in your margin. So next to Daniel 5 and verse 1. Here is Belshazzar in this drunken feast. And in Revelation 17, we see the judgment of the great whore of Babylon. And that's what he is. He, you know, he is this great whore of Babylon. He's there with his wives with his concubines in this party. In Revelation 17, let me just read to you verses 1 and 2. There came one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials, and talked with me, saying to me, Come hither, I will show thee the judgment of the great whore that sits upon many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have made drunk have they been made drunk with the wine of her fornication? So this is the feast that, that uh, in Daniel chapter 5 is pointing forward ultimately to the great fall of Babylon. Babylon has not learned the lessons. Though the likes of Daniel, Mishael, Hananiah, Azariah, Ezekiel, other faithful men and women uh, have been in this city, Ezra, Nehemiah, these men and women, although they've tried through the conversations they've had in Babylon to change her, she has not changed. Although the, uh, they, they've been shown by uh, what's happened to Nebuchadnezzar that the Babylonian tree will be cut down, none of them have listened, and Belshazzar, is showing to us, Daniel chapter 5 is on the record to show us the final fall of Babylon, which is still to come. And what we note is that while he's tasting this wine, he commands to bring the golden and silver vessels, which his father, now just look in your margin, and you'll see that the, the authorised version margin will tell you that the word father is grandfather. Nebuchadnezzar's not his father, had taken out the temple which was in Jerusalem, that the king and his princes, his wives, his concubines might drink therein. Then they brought the golden vessels that were taken out of the temple of the house of God, which was at Jerusalem. And the party goes on in earnest. 
and they drink wine and praise the gods of gold, of silver, of brass and iron, of wood and stone. And we see, don't we, that the, the metals of the image, because all of it is corrupt and against God. And as they drink wine out of these vessels, it's in this very moment, in this same hour, verse 5, that we see the fingers of a man's hand writing on the wall. So let's just unpick this and pick up this theme that we've seen before of the vessels, of the golden vessels that were brought out of the temple. Now, in order to sort of try to follow this through chronologically, let's go back to Jeremiah 27. So you need to make a note in your margins around this idea of the vessels in verse two and three. You remember that we've seen in Daniel chapter one, we've looked at this theme already, so we're not gonna go into it in great detail, but in Daniel chapter one, that Nebuchadnezzar brought the vessels of the house of God and he brought these vessels and they put them in the treasure house of his God. And we don't hear of the vessels then until in Daniel chapter five, Belshazzar in his feast gets these vessels out. And this is going to be the fall and the collapse of Babylon. The fact in such arrogance, he does this. So Jeremiah chapter 27, just to be reminded of Jeremiah prophesying of what Nebuchadnezzar would do. So Jeremiah 27, verse, 20, verse 6. Now when I've given all these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and the beasts of the field have I given him also to serve him. And irony there, isn't it? Because he becomes as one of them. And all nations shall serve him and his son and his son's son. Now that's important because people can read Daniel 5, can't they, and say, oh, the record nice. talks about his father. Well, look at the accuracy of Jeremiah. Jeremiah is prophesying before Belshazzar's even born, all nations shall serve him, his son and his son's son. And that's going to be the fall of Babylon. So make a note next to verse 7 of Jeremiah 27, Belshazzar, right? Daniel chapter 5, his son's son. Until the very time of his land come. And this is the point, isn't it? The time is up. How long were they going to be in Babylon? 70 years. Until the time come. And in Daniel 5, in, the time has come. Not just the year, not just the month, the day, the night. It's come. The hour and Babylon is going to fall. But we make that note and we just reflect for a second that in all of our lives, the time will come. Now, that time could be our falling asleep. That time could be the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. God knew the exact day, the exact hour the Babylonians would come. No one else would have known that. Daniel knew the 70 years was up. Other faithful men and women knew the 70 years was up. We know, don't we, that the 70 years is up from Israel being in the land. 
We don't know the time or the hour. We wouldn't be foolish enough to predict it. But we do know that the prophets have told us that the time will come. In Revelation 10, we read, don't we, that phrase where the angel says, time no longer. Revelation 10 and verse 6. We've got to use our time and redeem it wisely. Now, what did Jeremiah go on to prophesy? In verse 19, for thus says the Lord of hosts concerning the pillars and concerning the sea and concerning the bases and concerning the residue of the vessels that remain in this city, which Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, took not when he carried away captive Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, from Jerusalem to Babylon, and all the nobles of Judah and Jerusalem. Yea, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, concerning the vessels that remain in the house of the Lord and in the house of the king of Judah and of Jerusalem. They shall be carried to Babylon, and there shall they be until the day that I visit them, says the Lord. Then will I bring them up and restore them to this place. And so this is the night before the day, right? And the irony is that this time, Belshazzar's so foolish, he gets the vessels out. And that's the signal, isn't it? That the vessels are now prepared. The 70 years up, the true vessels, the people, the faithful are now going to be ready to return after the Babylonian exile and go back to Judah and Jerusalem. Now, we won't go there, but you need to have a note next to the vessels in Daniel 5 of 2 Timothy 2, verse 20 and 21, because that's one of the key references, isn't it? that tells us of the vessels being people. In a great house, we read, don't we? There are vessels, and it talks to us of the different uh, types of vessels, of uh, gold and silver, of wood and stone. And we're challenged, aren't we, uh, by the Apostle Paul, as he's inspired to write to Timothy, to be vessels of honour. And so in Babylon, there are still vessels of honour that now are going to get out of that place. Now, just come with me back to 2 Chronicles 36. We saw, didn't we, that Jeremiah, in speaking of the vessels, said that there'd been some left behind and then that some were taken and then the lot were taken. So what is Jeremiah talking of there in chapter 27? Well, 2 Chronicles 36 makes it really clear for us. Because we see here the, uh, the, the, the sons of Josiah, who are the final kings sitting on the throne in Jerusalem. And we see how quickly the demise of Jerusalem takes place. So first we notice that uh, Jehoahaz is on the throne, 2 Chronicles 36 verse 1. But the Egyptian king removes him and puts Jehoiakim, his brother, on the throne instead. So, verse 5, Jehoiakim was 25 years old when he began to reign. He reigned 11 years, but, of course, before long, against him came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, bound him in fetters, and took him to Babylon. Now, verse 7, Nebuchadnezzar also carried of the vessels of the house of the Lord to Babylon and put them in the temple at Babylon. So Jehoiakim goes off to Babylon and Jehoiachin, his son, 
reigned in his stead. Now, he doesn't last long. Jehoiakim has lasted 11 years, but Jehoiachin, his son, is only there for three months. And we read verse 10 that when the year was expired, King Nebuchadnezzar sent, brought him to Babylon with the goodly vessels of the house of the Lord and made Zedekiah king over Jerusalem. Now, look what you notice about the vessels in verse 10. They're described, aren't they, as the goodly vessels, the vessels of desire. And so many of the faithful were taken into captivity. And then he puts, Nebuchadnezzar puts Zedekiah, who's going to be the last king, isn't he, of Judah on the throne. And he reigned 11 years. But what do we notice in verse 18? And all the vessels of the house of God, great and small, and the treasures of the house of the Lord, and the treasures of the king, of his princes, all these he brought to Babylon. So now, finally... He's already taken two lots, and now, finally, he takes, doesn't he, the last lot. And the treasure house um, of the temple of God is emptied, and the vessels are all taken to Babylon. And they burnt the house of God and break down the wall of Jerusalem and burnt all the palaces with fire and destroyed all the goodly vessels thereof. And then that had escaped from the sword carried he away to Babylon, where they were servants to him and his sons, until the reign of the kingdom of Persia. And of course, that's what we're going to see next in our story. And so in verse 22, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord spoken by the mouth of Jeremiah might be accomplished, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it in writing, saying, Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, all the kings of the earth have the Lord God of heaven given me. He charged me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is there among you of his people? The Lord his God be with him and let him go up. So the challenge goes out in, in, in Babylon. Who is there among you of all his people? The Lord his God be with him and let him go up. And so, verse 1 of Ezra 1, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of Yahweh by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia. He makes the declaration, and look what we see in verse 6. And all they that were about them strengthened their hands with, what do they strengthen their hands with? Ezra 1, verse 6. Vessels of silver with gold, with goods, with beasts, with precious things, beside all that was willing offered. Also, Cyrus the king brought forth the vessels of the house of Yahweh, which Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had brought forth out of Jerusalem and put them in the house of his gods. Even those did Cyrus, king of Persia, bring forth. And so the vessels return. And so we see, don't we, the story of the vessels. Now, of such significance, isn't it, that Ezra goes back and uh, the, the, the temple um, is rebuilt um, in his time, and then he's joined later, isn't he, by another, by Nehemiah, a bit later on, who's going to come back and build the walls. What was Nehemiah's job? Butler, Nehemiah chapter 2 uh, 
Let me just turn there. Nehemiah 2 and verse 1. We read, don't we, of Nehemiah. Wherefore the king said to me, uh, and it came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of Artaxerxes the king, that wine was before him. And I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now, why is that significant? Because we're talking about the vessels, right? So here is a golden vessel, a faithful vessel. His job is to be the wine taster. Uh, he is this perfect example, isn't he? Uh, or this lovely example of this golden vessel that is able to return from uh, the, the desert of the sea, from the place of Babylon, of Shushan, and he's able to return to Jerusalem. Okay, now come back to Daniel chapter 5. Because we see, don't we, that at this very hour, and we can't stress the significance that as the vessels come out, they pour the Babylonian wine into these vessels, that they praise, verse 4, the Babylonian gods of gold, of silver, brass, wine, in the same hour, at that exact time, came forth fingers of a man's hand and wrote over against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. And the king's countenance was changed. The word countenance, if you look in your margin, it says the word brightness. So, you know, his face is flushed, isn't it, with wine. You know, he's, he's red, you know, he's jolly and merry and shouting and laughing and indulging in this great revelry. And in a moment, he sobers up and is petrified. He's so fearful. His countenance was changed. His thoughts troubled him so that the joints of his loins were loosed. His knees smote one against another. I mean, this is, you know, you know how we would describe someone in absolute, utter fear. And this is him now because he's seen the writing on the wall. He's seen this man's hand, the angel that's been sent, who writes, and you can just see the hand writing, meany, meany, tikal, you farsin. So let's just go to verse 25 to see what this writing is. This is the writing, meany, meany, tikal, you farsin. This is the interpretation of the thing, meany, God hath numbered thy kingdom. So meany, meany, numbered, numbered. Tickle, thou art weighed. Numbered, numbered, weighed. Perez, verse 28, thy kingdom is divided. So numbered, numbered, weighed, divided. That's what's happened, or that's what's going to happen in this same hour to the city of Babylon. Now, we ask the question, don't we, why is it that the writing on the wall says, meany, meany, chiku yufasin, but when Daniel interprets the matter to him, he says, meany means what it does, tikal means what it does, and then yufasin, he says, perez, instead. And we understand it's, they both mean divided, 
The only difference is the word you fasten is the plural word for Perez. So then we ask, well, why change it? Why would it matter? Why change it to the singular? Well, Perez, we're told, is a proper noun for Persia. So how is the kingdom about to be divided by who? The Persians. So Daniel, and he's obviously inspired in the most brilliant manner in interpreting what has going to happen to Babylon. Numbered, numbered, weighed, divided. He specifically uses this word because he's telling him the Persians. But of course, it's too late. Now, the other thing that we ask is why does it say mene, mene? Why does it say numbered, numbered twice? Why does it say numbered, weighed, divided? Well, there's a principle, isn't there? And that's picked up for us in Genesis 41. Just keep a marker, but come back to Genesis 41, which is where we read of the dreams of Pharaoh. And in Genesis 41, we've got another faithful man who's able, by the power of God, to interpret dreams. So verse 25, the connection, the dream of Pharaoh is one. God has showed Pharaoh what he is about to do. So just go to verse 31. Uh, so Genesis 41. And the plenty shall not be known in the land by reason of that famine following, for it shall be very grievous. Verse 32, I want us to have, for that the dream was doubled to Pharaoh twice. It's because the thing is established by God, and God will shortly bring it to pass. So the dream was doubled to make sure that Pharaoh knew it was certain, it was sure, and God would shortly bring it to pass. Well, meaning, meaning, numbered, numbered, it's doubled. That Belshazzar might know it is shortly going to come to pass. The hour's up, pal. This is it. Now, the other reference that I think is of uh, real significance to put in the margin is Revelation 18, where when we read of the fall of Babylon, so Revelation 18, you remember, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, verse 2. Verse 5, her sins have reached to heaven, God has remembered her iniquities, reward her even as she's rewarded you, Double unto her, double according to her works, in the cup which she hath filled to her double. So as they're drinking the wine of Babylon, that they fill these cups to the double, then tragically, this double portion, this doubling, is going to come on this city and I say tragically because Babylon had been given chance after chance after chance and yet her pride had got too much she verse 7 she's glorified herself and lived deliciously 
so much torment and sorrow give her, for she saith in her heart, I sit a queen and no widow, I shall see no sorrow. Therefore shall her plagues come in one day, death and mourning and famine. She shall be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord God who judgeth her. And the kings of the earth who committed fornication and lived deliciously with her shall bewail her and lament. They shall see the smoke of her burning, standing afar off, the fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour is thy judgment come. And so that's why it's so significant back in Daniel chapter 5, verse 5. In the same hour, in, we need to make a note next to there, Revelation 18, verse 10, in one hour is thy judgment come. So come back to Daniel chapter 5, where we understand the numbered, numbered. Now, there's something else of real significance, uh, I think, uh, and that is um, uh, that... In the book of Ezra, we read details of the vessels that were taken from Babylon and taken back to Jerusalem. Now, we've already read Ezra chapter 1, um, and I don't know if you noticed, I didn't point it out to you at the time. Perhaps just come back there briefly. I want to show you two references in Ezra. It's not to point out too much detail around the vessels. We just want to note in Ezra 1 and verse 9, what do we read that they do to the vessels? Ezra 1 and verse 9. What do they do to the vessels? Are you there, Lord? Yeah. So what does it start by saying? Ezra 1 verse 9. This is the... So what do they do? They count them. They number them. All right. So the vessels are numbered. You see, we're numbered, aren't we? These vessels are numbered. God knows all of us. We're, as it were, numbered. What else do we read about these vessels? Ezra 8. Verse 25, what do we read about the vessels? The vessels, thanks Lil, were weighed. Ezra 8, verse 25, the vessels were weighed. Verse 30 is perhaps clearer. So took the priests and the Levites the weight of the silver and the gold and the vessels to bring them to Jerusalem to the house of our God. So they're weighed. Now why is this significant? So the vessels are numbered and the vessels are weighed before taken up to Jerusalem. But these vessels are not divided, all right? Because they're the faithful. So all of us are numbered and weighed. And what we've got to pray is that we won't be divided that rather God will see in us the heart that was in the likes of Daniel, that wandered out of that place, in the likes of Ezra and Nehemiah, and will look on us for good. Now, just picking up this theme of the, the, the weighing, 
just come to Isaiah 40. So perhaps make these notes back in Daniel 5, next to verse 27, 28, where we read of God, and we read in verse 12, who hath measured the waters of Isaiah 40 now, Isaiah 40, verse 12, who hath measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and meted out heaven with the span and comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. Now, don't forget that Babylon is as the mountain, right? So God has weighed the mountains in a scale. Remember that uh, the, the stone was cut out of the mountain. But God has weighed the mountain and the hills in a balance. Who directed the spirit of the Lord or being his counselor had taught him? With whom took he counsel and who instructed him and taught him the path of judgment and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations, the likes of Babylon, are as a drop of a bucket and accounted as the small dust of the balance. Behold, he taketh up the isles as a very little thing. So our God, the God of heaven, is so powerful that the nations are as a drop of in a bucket to him. They're counted as the very dust, small dust of the balance. He is the one who is able to weigh the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. That's our God, and that's the God that brings this judgment now against the Babylonians. Now, another... Uh, reference here to the idea of the numbered is in the psalms psalm 90 so psalm 90 we've been here before in our studies where we've looked uh, in daniel chapter one at the significance of the 70 the fact why was why were they taken into babylon for 70 years why is that 70 year period so significant and we reflected didn't we to think that the 70 years is uh, about the amount of time that we're given, isn't it? We're given three score years and 10. Verse 10, the days of our years are three score years and 10. Um, and so the Babylonian captivity is like the symbol for our lives, isn't it? But what have we got to do in that time? Verse 12, so teach us to number our days so what happens to the babylonian system it's numbered numbered way divided what we're told is number your days now how should you number them what should you do with them that we may apply our hearts to wisdom what did daniel do applied his heart to wisdom right so he numbered the days he literally would have numbered them i'm sure he would have He'd have kept calendar and record because he knew that the 70 years of the Babylonian captivity prophesied by Jeremiah, the scrolls of which he would have had, I think they were taken down to Babylon. He's numbering the days, but he's doing it not simply to think, you know, oh, right, another day, another, that he might apply his heart to wisdom. So, numbered numbered way divided that's what daniel 
did. He numbered his days, applying his heart to wisdom. Now come to another reference, just for this idea of Wade. Now I want you to come back to Job 31, where we see that Job uses this phrase that makes us think of ourselves. Job 31 verse 6, let me be weighed in an even balance that God may know mine integrity. And so our days will one day be numbered. They'll be up. And then our prayer is that we might be weighed in an even balance that God may know mine integrity. Not that we for one minute think that because of our own integrity, we can earn the kingdom as it were, but rather that God may look in us, that he may see that we have applied our hearts to wisdom in the days that we've been given. And that because of that, when we're put in the balance scales, when we're weighed, God in his kindness and graciousness will see in us something of vessels that try to honour him and as a result of that will be pleased despite all our failings and sin to say you tried to get out of Babylon come come into the promised land you can be with those faithful vessels that can share in the blessings of eternity and of course the kingdom of Babylon was divided so we pray this won't happen to us but it did happen to Babylon. And in Revelation 16, we read this very phrase. So in Revelation 16, at the fall of the Babylonian system, so verse 18 of Revelation 16 says, there were voices and thunders and lightnings. There was a great earthquake such as was not since men were upon the earth. So mighty an earthquake and so great. And the great city was divided into three parts. The cities of the nations fell, and great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. So here are they drinking their wine. And God now says, now you're going to drink my wine, the fierceness of my wrath. And the great city is divided. Okay, come back to Daniel chapter 5. How are we doing for time? Not too bad. We're okay, I think. Come back to Daniel 5. Now, let me point out something that uh, is uh, of real interest to us, I think, because in Daniel 5 and verse 6, we saw, didn't we, that when the king's countenance was changed and his thoughts troubled him, the joints of his loins were loosed. Now, look on the screen there. I've tried to help you by colouring the text. I've put there Daniel 5, verse 6, and Daniel 5, verse 12. We'll go to Isaiah 45 shortly, but Daniel 5, verse 6, and Daniel 5, verse 12. I could have put verse Daniel 5, verse 16 as well, just for your notes. But look at this in verse 12. An excellent spirit was found in Daniel, knowledge and understanding, interpreting of dreams and showing of hard sentences. So this is now... Uh, the, the, the queen mother um, who's telling Belshazzar to call for Daniel because the wise men of Babylon can do nothing of course and so she says of him that he was able to dis, uh, show, he can show hard senses 
and the dissolving of doubts was found in the same Daniel. Now, here's the interesting thing. The word dissolving is the same Chaldean word as the word loose in verse 6. And in verse uh, 16, you've got that word dissolving too. All right. So those Chaldean words, the word dissolving is the same as the word loosed. Now, really interestingly, the word doubts, dissolving of doubts, that's the same as the word joints in verse 6. All right. So the joints of his loins were loosed. Why is this so significant? Well, what is Daniel able to do? He's able to dissolve doubts. Now look in your margin next to the word doubts. In verse 12, look in the margin. What does the word it's tell you that that word means, the Chaldean word means? Knots. So Daniel is able to dissolve, give me another word, how would we say about knots? You wouldn't say dissolve, untie knots. So Daniel is able to untie all the knots of the Babylonian system. The Babylonian system has tied itself up in knots. And Daniel, because God has given him this ability is able to dissolve the doubts, to untie the knots of Babylon. And so literally, that's what happens. The knots of Belshazzar's knees are untied and they go knocking together, don't they? What's interesting, how does he do it? How is it that Daniel unties the knots well it's not that he literally goes up to Belshazzar's knee the, 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 the metaphor is obvious but what does he do well Daniel has got to be called for to come to this place and he tells him doesn't he that the time is up so where's Daniel been no well we wonder don't we that Daniel has been one of the watchmen on the walls and he's seen that for two years now, the uh, army of the Persians, the Medes and the Persians, has besieged Babylon. Belshazzar's father, Nebonidus, has been fighting for a decade outside of the city in the Northern Territory. And Belshazzar, his son as Prince Regent, as King in Babylon, has been laughing to scorn the idea that, that Babylon could ever fall. But Daniel has untied the knots. Come with me to Isaiah 45. Now, Isaiah 44 and 45, the end of 44 and 45, we see that Isaiah not only prophesied the most brilliant things of uh, the fall of Babylon, and you remember that we started by seeing that he's talked of the gates being opened, and 
we see this again in I, the end of Isaiah 44, Isaiah 45. So let's just go in at verse 27. This is what God says, that saith of the, the Lord says of the deep, be dry, I will dry up thy rivers. So how are they going to get into Babylon? The rivers will be dried up. The Seth of Cyrus, he's my shepherd and shall perform all my pleasure, even saying to Jerusalem, thou shalt be built, the temple thy foundation shall be laid. We see in the vessels return to do that. Thus says Yahweh to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I've holden to subdue nations before him. I will loose the loins of kings. So what have we got next to that? Daniel 5 and verse 6. To open before him the two league gates. So the gates are opened. Remember what Isaiah prophesied earlier, that the gates will be opened. That was Isaiah 13 and verse 2. So the gates have been opened and not shut. So look, what, look at the language. I will loose the loins of kings. This is exactly what Daniel does, doesn't he? He's the one who dissolves the doubts. He unties the knots. He removes the ropes, as it were, and the gates are able to be opened. And so God says, I'll go before thee and make the crooked places straight. I'll break in pieces the gates of brass and cut in sunder the bars of iron, the brass and the iron that held Babylon together we looked at last week. I'll give thee the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places. Now, I'll give thee the treasures of darkness. What's the where have we come across the treasures before? What did Nebuchadnezzar take? The gold and the silver vessels. So in 2 Chronicles 36, verse 18, we read that Nebuchadnezzar took all the vessels of the house of God, great and small, and the treasures of the house of God. And Cyrus is going to be given the treasures. And of course, because he's got this task given to him by God, He's the one that will uh, ensure, verse 13, God says, I've raised him up in righteousness. This is Cyrus. I will direct all his ways. He shall build my city and he shall let go my captives, not for price nor reward, says the Lord of hosts. And so Daniel it is who sets up Cyrus to be the great shepherd that will return the sheep, the lost sheep, the house of Israel, He's going to bring the vessels and take them back to Jerusalem. Now, uh, our time uh, has gone. Just come with me to Jeremiah 51. What we're seeing here, of course, in the drying up of the rivers, Isaiah 45, verse 27, is all pointing forward to the final fall of Babylon. We've been to Revelation 16 already. We won't go back there. But you remember that the sixth vial begins with the drying up of the river Euphrates, right? So this is shadowing that final drying up, which ultimately speaks of nations. It's more than simply the drying up of the river when we get to Revelation 16. It's the drying up of the power, isn't it, in Revelation 16? But here, it's literally a river, but it, it's a symbol as the whole of Daniel 5 is in this incident of what's going to happen at the final fall of Babylon. Now, hopefully you've gone to Jeremiah 51. Let's just pull our thoughts together with um, some references from here. So Jeremiah 51. 
what do we see? This is another prophecy uh, before, far before Babylon falls of what will happen to the Babylonians. So, verse 7. Babylon hath been a golden cup in the Lord's hand that made all the earth drunken. The nations have drunken of her wine, therefore the nations are mad. Do you see the irony if it's all about this golden cup? Babylon is suddenly fallen, destroyed. How for her, take balm for her pain, if so be that she may be healed. We would have healed Babylon, but she's not healed. What does that tell us? What have we seen in Daniel and Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah? What have they tried to do to Nebuchadnezzar? Preached him, tell him the truth. Look, that is verse 9 of Jeremiah 51. We would have healed Babylon. So that is what they tried to do. But she's not healed. And so, forsake her. Let us go everyone to his own country, for her judgment reaches to heaven and is lifted even to the skies. Come out of her, my people. They've got to get out. The Lord has brought forth our righteousness. Come and let us declare in Zion the work of the Lord our God. Make bright the arrows, gather the shields. The Lord has raised up the spirits of the kings, the Medes, for his devices against Babylon to destroy it, because it is the vengeance of the Lord, the vengeance of his temple. What's it, what is it? The vengeance of his... Why is it the vengeance of his temple? What did Nebuchadnezzar take from the temple? The vessels. So put a note in your margin. Daniel 5 and verse 2 and 3, right? Those vessels coming out god is now going to take the vengeance of his temple in destroying this place so jeremiah 51 let's just jump over uh, it's all of such incredible significance but let's just see what's the, the picture that's painted verse 31 one post shall run to meet another and one messenger to meet another to show the king of Babylon that his city is taken at one end and that the passages are stopped and the reeds they've burned with fire and the men of war are frightened. So just picture the scene. As Belshazzar, his revelings going on, the writing goes on the wall. Daniel tells him, numbered, numbered, way divided. Poof, the door opens. And the messengers come in. One from one end of the city, one from the other end of the city. They're running to and fro to meet each other. One's gone to one. Babylon is 14 miles wide, right? It's a huge city. The, the walls, you can run chariots abreast on them. And the runners have gone one to the next runner, to the next runner, to the next runner, to the next runner, saying, tell the king of Babylon, tell Belshazzar, the city's taken that end. It's too late. You wonder that as Daniel has allowed the gates to be loosed and he's walked back to the feast. He's organized that Babylon is going to fall this night. The angels have done their work. The pastures are stopped, the reeds are burned with fire and the Medes and the Persians are flooding in. The shields of Babylon have not been oiled. There's no time for that. And the arrows of the Medes can't be stopped. And so Babylon is going to fall. And so we read verse 33. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, the daughter of Babylon is like a threshing floor. It's time to thresh her. Yet a little while the time of her harvest shall come. 
Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, has devoured me, he crushed me, he made me an empty vessel. He swallowed me up like a dragon. He filled his belly with my delicates. He cast me out. The violence done to me and to my flesh be upon Babylon. Shall the inhabitants of Zion say, and my blood upon the inhabitants of Chaldea shall Jerusalem say. Therefore thus saith the Lord, behold, I will plead thy cause and take vengeance for thee. And I will dry up her sea and make her springs dry. Of course, that's exactly what happens, isn't it? Just an incredible prophecy about the fall of the city of Babylon. And so that night, Babylon falls. Now, just quickly, come back to... Uh, I'm going to jump that. We just don't have the time. In fact, I'm going to let you take a photograph of those things if you want them. Uh, but I'm going to behave tonight and I'm going to stop. So references in Jeremiah 50 and in 51. And at the end of 51, we see, we'll finish there, the great fall of the Babylonian system as God declares through Jeremiah that a stone should be bound to it, and it be cast in the midst of the Euphrates. And thou shalt say, thus shall Babylon sink. And so that's the end of that city, never to rise again. Only it's the beginning of the systems that will be seen in Rome and in the great city of Babylon, spiritually speaking, in the Roman system, which we're going to see um, later in our class, um, as we move through to the problem of the Roman system.